Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, Anne, you beautiful, naive, sophisticated newborn baby. What? Anne, you beautiful tropical fish. Anne, you're beautiful and you're organized. Anne, you beautiful spinster. I will find you, love. What? Did you say something? Love you. and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women become each other's tropical fish. (laughs) I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And that Leslie Note model of friendship love is something today's guest, Kayleen Schaefer, has spent a lot of time thinking, talking, and writing about. There's a lot of takes on female friendship that are surface, that are... You know, the two women linking arms as they walk down the street or the wine glasses cheersing. Kayleen is the author of Text Me When You Get Home, The Evolution and Triumph of Modern Female Friendship. And for the book, she interviewed dozens of women about friendship past and present. These relationships are so essential. They are on the same level as the bonds we have with our parents, with our children, with our romantic partners, with our jobs, with our bosses. Uh, There wasn't anyone saying that, and I wanted to elevate it and make it beyond this cute greeting card type of thing that we get a lot, I thought. So today, with Kayleen's help, we're going to sort through female friendship fact and fiction, from Valentine's Day brunches to that special place in hell for women who don't support other women. All to find out, what makes these platonic relationships so special? Don't laugh at me, but maybe we could be each other's soulmates. And so especially complicated. Heather, why can't you just be a friend? Why are you such a mega bitch? But before we get back to Kayleen, we're starting our friendship journey where Leslie Nope would feel right at home. Y'all, we are going to girls camp. (laughs) Uh, This is the sound of Kristen Conger fleeing from a flying insect. Welcome to Camp Farwell, the oldest all-girl summer camp in the United States. Every June, girls aged 6 to 16 flock to this beautiful corner of Vermont to ride horses, sleep in cabins, and be themselves in this safe haven for self-confidence. And for the past four summers, Caroline and I have gone to Camp Farwell to host workshops for the girls about body image, self-care, feminism. And for the first time this year friendship. 
Yeah, Camp Farwell is all about female friendship. Just take these two camp besties, Jaylene and Lila. <laughs> when we first met, it was just like we kind of clicked right away. And like whenever camp starts and like we, we drive up the driveway, like we always run towards each other and it's so fun. Yeah. Even though we might not be in the same cabin or, like, always hang out daily, like, we usually go back to each other, so. So, do you guys plan to be friends forever? Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Now, these girls are pretty dang smart. I mean, they know what a good friend looks like. But even in this Leslie Note paradise, girls don't always get along. You know, cliques and competition inevitably flare up from time to time. So, before the camp counselor karaoke... And the camp announcements. We're going to ask uh, for people to go to bed at a little bit earlier bedtime tonight. So campers, we're still going to do lights out at 9. We got down to business over friendship bracelets. So you picked blue, white, and green. Why did you pick these colors? Because uh, they're my favorite colors. And we asked the girls, what makes a good friend? I want you to finish the sentence. A real friend is someone who... Um, is loyal to your friend and someone who stands up for them and helps them. A real friend is someone who backs you up and supports you when you're in need. A real friend is somebody who, like, he or she doesn't boss you around or tell you how to change something. A real friend is always truthful to the other friend. A real friend is nice and kind to you. A real friend is someone who listens. It sounds like these girls know the ingredients of a good friendship. Oh, yeah. They are kind of my role models. And when you talk to them, the girls at Camp Farwell, valuing friendship sounds so straightforward. And at camp, it is. I mean, they even have counselors to guide them along the way if they have any conflicts. But when we leave behind the horseback riding, the petting zoo, the friendship bracelets, and we step out into the real world— How do we keep those basic tenets of friendship alive? What does it mean to value our female friends IRL? And that brings us back to Kayleen Schaefer, author of Text Me When You Get Home. Because writing her book wasn't just a journalistic exercise. It was personal. Oh, yeah. Growing up, Kayleen's ideas about friendship didn't exactly sound like the Farwell campers we just heard from. I grew up what you would stereotypically call a mean girl. I grew up in Texas. I was sort of just told, not maybe not even directly, but it was assumed you were going to compete with the women around you for grades, you know, for who looked the prettiest in pictures, uh, for boys' attention. That was just how I knew friendship to be. You know, I may have been friends with these women, but there was also that element of competition. Rather than compete in the popularity contest, Kayleen describes how she was happiest by herself, reading Seventeen and Sassy Magazine alone in her bedroom. And another part of that was I had assumed that your most important relationship was supposed to be with your romantic partner. You know, I'm straight, and I was taught to look toward men as the people who would take care of me and protect me. In college, Kayleen rushed a sorority and was initially charmed by the whole sisterhood aesthetic. Pretty soon, though, it started to feel more like an overbearing clique. But hey, Kayleen stuck it out as a handy way to meet guys. And as she got older and moved on from college, this kind of thing was just her M.O. At the time, I didn't have that many close girlfriends. I had friends, 
Um, but, you know, if we wanted to hang out, we did. But um, Or if we needed to cancel, if we wanted to hang out with a guy instead, we could do that. Like, they just weren't bonds that I was treating the same way that I was treating my romantic relationship or my um, devotion to my job, too. I was in New York to be a writer, and I wanted to do that most of all. And so that's what I was focused on. How did you get over any, like, cool girl, mean girl tendencies in your own life? Um, A big part of that was realizing that the women around me were amazing. And a big part of that was meeting Ruthie. Ruthie was Kayleen's co-worker. They worked together at this bro men's magazine, kind of like the one Matthew McConaughey works for, you know, in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. What was it called? Was it uh, Truck Nuts? <laughs> Fancy Boys? I, I can't remember. Anyway, one day, Kayleen was arguing with her dude editor about this photo that was running alongside an article she'd written about Lilith Fair. Uh, so the photo in question was of these two topless women who were hanging out and smiling for the camera. And Kayleen's boss wanted to run the photo with a censoring bar over the women's eyes. But Kayleen wanted to run it without, although she couldn't quite describe why. And Ruthie came over and she said, putting those black bars on their faces sexualizes the picture, and it's not a sexual picture. She was exactly right, and she was saying what I couldn't articulate and standing up for me. And that feeling was really cool. Like, not only did she say what I wasn't able to, but she supported me in an environment where women didn't generally stand up for each other. Standing up for each other. Now, that sounds familiar, Caroline. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what all of our campers said makes a real friend. That's right. Kayleen realized how cool it was that Ruthie had stepped up in this way, and she didn't want to just let it slide. But that meant she had to make a move. So one Friday, she emailed Ruthie. And I was like, hey, um, I'm going to go see Bad Teacher after work. <laughs> Do you want to come? And Bad, if you don't know if you guys know the movie Bad Teacher, it's Justin Timberlake, Cameron Diaz. It's Mm -hmm. great, but it's not exactly like a highbrow. Like, you don't want to raise your hand and be like, I really want to see Bad Teacher. (laughs) And Rosie wrote back an all caps email and was like, I was planning to go see that by myself. I'm so thrilled you asked me. Like, yes, I want to go with you. Later, Kayleen moved to Ruthie's neighborhood. They swapped keys in case of a lockout. And little by little, they became really close. And being friends with Ruthie started to open Kayleen up. She realized how good it felt to have a confidant at work. And even beyond Ruthie, she realized how much more her other female friends meant. Women she could go to with problems, ideas, or just watch scandal with. And then something happened that really solidified for Kayleen, that her friendship priorities had changed. In my early 30s, my longtime boyfriend proposed. I've been dating my boyfriend since college. And I just assumed that that's what I would do. And I couldn't say yes. And so, honestly, when I said I wasn't ready to get married, it surprised me, too. So Kayleen said no. And suddenly this guy's girl and workaholic had something new to devote herself to. Her friends. Then I did look at my friendships and say, you know what? These people are important to me, and I want to start treating them with the same level of respect that I treat other relationships in my life. I viewed women as, you know, my everyday joy and support and people that I couldn't, or I I mean, I could go through life without them, but I wouldn't want to. And my friends were grateful for that. I mean, it was almost like we had all been starved for, for these kind of friendships. 
So what did valuing these female friendships actually look like for Kayleen? It meant basically becoming a living Bechdel test. Nice. Okay, Kristen, could you define that for our audience? Well, back in 1985, Alison Bechdel had a comic strip called Dykes to Watch Out For. And in one strip, two lesbian characters want to go see a movie, but they end up not seeing anything because nothing passes their test of including... Two named women characters who talk to each other about something other than their relationship to a man. Sounds simple enough. Also sounds pretty positive. Yeah, but uh, pretty rare to see on screen, it turns out. So Kayleen, though, basically started embodying that, like spending real time with friends, not canceling hangouts for dates. And when she was with her friends, talking to them about the things that weren't just their love lives— and, of course, being upfront with them about how important they were to her. Who knew such good things could come out of bad teacher? I know, right? I mean, it's probably the best thing Justin Timberlake has ever done. <laughs> but seriously, it can take a lot of courage for that kind of valuing of our friends. I mean, even asking someone out on a first friend date can feel nerve-wracking. Oh, yeah, because then you have to figure out what to wear. And totally. then what are you going to talk about? I mean, I've definitely gotten the friend dating jitters. But, Caroline, I also wonder if the reason it can feel so bold and even radical to choose our friends, whether it's for the long haul like Kayleen or for a few hours away from your kids, is because society has historically been so unfriendly to women's friendships with other women. Ooh. Mm -hmm. We're spilling all those secrets when we come back. Stick around, y'all. We're back talking about female friendship. And Kristen, you mentioned the Bechdel test earlier. And while it's usually applied to movies and TV, the Bechdel test also really comes in handy for seeing just how much women have had to negotiate between choosing sisters versus misters or uteruses versus deuteruses since, well, forever. What's even more bananas, though, is how Western friendships between women have basically been locked in a 500-year-long Bechdel test that a heteronormative patriarchy does not want us to pass. Right, because the patriarchal panic surrounding female friendships has always been that if women get too chummy with each other, we'll pull a Kayleen and choose our own choices about marriage and housewifing. Maybe we'll even fall in love. With each other. With each other? Like girls? <laughs> Well, Caroline, it sounds like we've got some claptrap to unpack. Unpack the Claptrap is the section of our show where we slip on our feminist friendship bracelets and find out why things are the way they are. And today, we want to know, are female friendships really so fraught with frenemies and drama-rama? Historically, what has come between us and our gal pals? Well, in a word, dudes. From 600 BCE to 1600, practically everything written about friendship was by and about men. The whole era was one giant Bechdel test fail. It's true. And as Kayleen Schaefer discovered when writing Text Me When You Get Home, male friendships weren't just casual relationships and pickup basketball games. They were hailed as the cornerstone of civic and military solidarity. 
in the Middle Ages and early modern times, women couldn't even use the word friend. They were told, like, no, sorry, you don't have the moral fiber to have a pure and selfless relationship with someone else. Only men can do that. And that's really dark. So this has been going on since then. And, and I mean, the main reason, I think, is just to keep women apart because women together were scary to men, and that would mean that men would lose control. Is that why they hate us going to the bathroom together? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's part of it. <laughs> uh, this is sort of a, a, a history side note, but one um, one point that, that comes up in is sort of the absence of female friendships or at least like the invalidation of female friendships over history is it seems like nuns were kind of the first besties mm-hmm. that's because in um in the early modern times the only the religious women were thought that they could be that pure and selfless because they took a vow of chastity. So basically, like, women were too sex-crazed, and that was messing with our ability to be friends with each other. But none sidestepped that, and they could be friends. So, like, a commitment to Jesus (laughs) was a way of, like, removing that catty competition layer. Exactly. And yet, so ironic, because isn't the classic formula of, like, women's cattiness all the women being, like, you know, focused on the same guy? (laughs) I mean, it's incredible that it even held together. (laughs) That's true. You think all those nuns would have been fighting over Jesus? I love a guy with a beard. (laughs) the ultimate love triangle. (laughs) But in a lot of ways, female friendships have historically been framed as these love triangles, you know, pitting us against the platonic and romantic loves of our lives. Not because women love drama or can't make up their minds, but because for most of Western history, men dictated our friendship narratives. Right. First, they told us that women simply can't be friends because we're just too morally bankrupt and too stupid to maintain them. Unless, of course, we want to become nuns, and even then our friendships are meant to serve Jesus. Then, starting around the 17th century, it dawns on some influential religious dudes that women could be friends— But the very best friendship a woman could have was with her husband. Womp womp. Marriage was considered, quote, the queen of friendships, made sacred by vows and love, by bodies and soul, by interest and custom, by religion and laws, by common counsels and common fortunes. Ah, sounds romantic. (laughs) But we also know, based on letters and diaries, the gal pals didn't always agree with that nonsense, sometimes jokingly referring to their besties as husband or wife. Now, in terms of men's control over female friendship narratives, the fact that women were leaving behind letters and diaries is a major power move. In the 1700s, as more women across classes became literate, they suddenly had new tools for making and maintaining friendships. For a while, women were kind of left up to their own friendship devices in their separate sphere. By the 1800s, it was pretty much assumed that friendship and all of its oversharing and emotions would appeal to our feminine nature. As the sentimental sex, women were allowed to share their gushiest feelings with one another, and really only with one another. 19th century letters between close friends, y'all, were basically all sobbing emojis. <laughs> and as women, mostly upper-class white women, entered college in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, that intimate bestieship, or so-called romantic friendship, was totally the norm. 
At these women's colleges, students went to dances together, they gave each other flowers and candy, and they wrote tons of adoring, lovesick poetry. Girl, did they. At Barnard, a student named Linda Weepily wrote, In fact, there's nothing I can do, this maiden who I love to woo. My heart within her hand, it lieth. Why won't you love me, Florence Wyeth? Now, whether Linda had more than platonic feelings for Flo is really impossible for us to say. But the term romantic friendship has been criticized by some who see it as some sort of euphemism that desexualizes and erases lesbian relationships of the past. But by the same token, the assumption that all so-called romantic friendships would have necessarily been sexual is also reductive. What we do know is that back when women were content to just accept a gender unequal status, our friendships didn't much bother men. We were just too submissive to be considered threats and our libidos too dainty to do anything without a penis around. But... At the turn of the century, young women were leaving home in unprecedented numbers. They were attending colleges, getting factory jobs, working as shop girls, basically doing a lot of new stuff that was not searching out a BFF husband. And suddenly, those romantic female friendships became suspect, particularly after one made national news. In 1892, the New York Times front page announced a most shocking crime. A Memphis society girl cuts a former friend's throat. 19-year-old society gal Alice Mitchell had jumped out of a carriage in public and murdered 17-year-old Frida Ward by slitting the girl's throat. Oh, yeah. I mean, in uh, newspaper illustrations of the day, they show just blood gushing from Frida's neck. It was very grisly. And once folks discovered that well-to-do Alice and Frida weren't just former friends but also lovers and that Alice wanted to marry Frida, people were shocked. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, this dovetails perfectly with the American medical community starting to diagnose the, quote, disorder of lesbianism, which they claimed made you masturbate all the time, feel superior to men, and be a suffragist. And it's no coincidence that lesbophobia flares alongside women's growing political protest. I mean, the patriarchy was realizing that female friendships could be powerful after all. And add on top of that, Sigmund Freud and his psychoanalytic bros, who by the end of the 1920s had convinced Americans that, quote, one of the most common perversions of the libido was the tendency of teenage girls to fix their affections on members of the same sex. Women's colleges, clubs, organizations, even prisons, all started coming under suspicion of harboring lesbians. And with homophobia in full effect, female friendships became increasingly centered around getting boyfriends. Women started getting married even earlier, in fact. And going back to the Bechdel test, it was in this boy-crazy environment that Virginia Woolf wrote the passage from A Room of One's Own that would later inspire Alison Bechdel to come up with her test. In 1929, Woolf wrote, I tried to remember any case in the course of my reading where two women are represented as friends. They are now and then mothers and daughters, but almost without exception, they are shown in their relation to men. And how small a part of a woman's life is that? Virginia Woolf wouldn't find much relief on screen either. Early Hollywood made so-called women's films, sure, but female friendships were simply plot devices to get the women protagonists paired up with a guy by the end. 
kind of like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and all those other rom-coms from the early 2000s. Yeah, basically anything with Kate Hudson. Yeah. (laughs) But off screen, by the end of the 1960s, most women in college were either engaged by the time they graduated or simply dropped out to go ahead and get married already. For women like Kayleen's mom, marriage and family came first, and friendships were more like like a garnish. When I went and interviewed her, I think we did like two interviews, maybe three. And I kept saying the whole time, like, you didn't have any friends. You never wanted any friends. You know, especially my dad um, served in Vietnam and my mom didn't have any girlfriends. She just stayed at home. She went to her job as a teacher and then she went home and she wrote my dad a letter every night. And I was like, you never went out with a girlfriend. You never were like, you know, I'm really lonely. I'll just call so-and-so who's next to me on the base. And her husband's also overseas for a glass of wine or something. But never, like it didn't even enter her mind because during that time, she thought that her responsibility was only to her family. And, and, you know, it, this is my experience and my mom, and, and I talked to women who, who their moms did have friends when they were growing up. But I think a lot of women did get the message that you are supposed to focus on your romantic partner and your children and look inward and make sure your family is fine. And then maybe if you have time for friends, okay, but that's not a priority. In the 1970s, though, it wasn't just women's relationships to men that second-wave feminists wanted to revolutionize. The movement's slogan, Sisterhood is Powerful, also signaled a reclamation of female alliance, if not friendship. By 1980, not only were a record number of women working outside the home, but a record number of marriages were ending in divorce. Men and marriage were becoming decentralized, and Kayleen says pop culture started to reflect that, although usually through male filmmakers' lenses. There was Beaches, which was one of the first movies to not show women fighting over a guy. Because in the 80s, um, both on TV shows like Dynasty and then in a lot of movies, uh, basically women were just always tearing each other's hair out or screaming at each other, just fighting to get the guy. And and that's how you saw women relate to each other. And um, the director of Beaches, Gary Marshall, wanted the writer— to put in a cat fight. Like, he absolutely was like, well, you can't have a movie about two women and you can't have, you have to have a cat fight. And the writer, um, Mary Agnes Donahue, that I'm not doing that. That's silly. Like, that's not what women do. They don't throw cold cream at each other. Like, they don't. <laughs> it's too just, expensive. Yeah, it's true. Like, they don't throw La Mer at each other. Um, <laughs> Caroline, the thing I love so much about this fight in Beaches is that When the characters Hillary and Cece do end up fighting, it's not about the men. It's about them. You took away your friendship without even discussing it with me. That friendship was more important to me than anything. And now it's gone. I was jealous. I was so jealous of you, I couldn't see straight. And your talent, this incredible talent. I I can't even yodel. Hillary. What's yodeling got to do with it? And P.S. Beaches passes the Bechdel test with flying colors. Well, yeah, the flying colors of your mascara running down your cheeks. And it also underscores the big lesson from all this claptrap that female friendships are so special and sometimes complicated because we've had to fight for them and for our relationships to even be considered as valid and as valued as bromances. But speaking of fighting... Now that we know where a lot of today's bestie baggage comes from, how do we deal with it in our own friendships? Like, 
Can we just blame it all on the patriarchy? Well, sure. I mean, you could. But, you know, your friends might not appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we're moving from the political to the personal, y'all. That's coming up next. A lot of women have close friends. Very few have friends as close as yours. Mm -hmm. Describe that friendship to me. Whew, okay. Uh, she is the mother I never had. She is the sister everybody would want. She is the friend that everybody deserves. I don't know a better person. Why is it making you cry? It's making me cry because I'm thinking about how much uh, I probably have never told her that. Tissue, please. I now need tissue. I've never told her that. We're back. And you get a tissue. You get a tissue. <laughs> you get a tissue because... This is the sweetest clip of television ever recorded where goddess Oprah Winfrey is getting real about her lifelong friend, Gail King. And Caroline, I did not realize there was a time before Oprah's like loud and proud love of Gail, but this was a moment. I love that she's so gushy about Gail. I know. All right. So, so far we've talked about, and here Oprah is showing us, what it can look like to start valuing your friendships, giving them a seat at the table alongside your job and your romantic relationships. But it does seem like one problem with doing this is that it just takes the pressure we have on women for them to devote themselves to a romantic partner and diverts that over to a best friend. You know, like it still paints the sort of unrealistic picture of the coveted BFF's necklace style relationship. You know, one person who fulfills all of these things for you. Totally. That pressure is real. But one thing that I've taken away from talking to Kayleen is that valuing our female friendships can be as simple as first asking ourselves what these relationships mean to us, which is kind of radical to do when it comes to friendships, because these are the relationships that we choose for ourselves. And as women, like, that is kind of a rare thing. Like, we're so often invited to do this with being choosy about who we sleep with or who we let take us to dinner, say, but not with our friends. Like, it's this assumption that, like, once girls are around each other, we just magically sync up periods <laughs> and get along forever and go to brunch until we die and everything will be totally fine. And if we fight, that means that we just aren't doing the whole girl support girls thing right. And that's what I find so powerful in that Oprah clip. Like, she's reflecting on this relationship that's been really valuable to her for what seems like the first time. But we need an invitation to do that so much sooner than decades into a friendship. Because once we have it, we can get real, whether that means celebrating our friends or maybe letting some go. What's come up a lot since the book's been out is this idea of that we don't know how to talk about our friendships, especially when we're in tricky places with our friends. You know, we don't necessarily know how to say to a friend in the same way we know how to say to a romantic partner, like, you hurt my feelings. 
um, or I wish you hadn't have done this. Or We just don't know how to say that to our friends because we don't have the language around that. Or in the same way, we also have a really hard time saying to our friends, you mean so much to me. One woman, um, I was at a reading and she raised her hand and she said, is it okay to say I love you to your girlfriends? Well, I mean, I think so. But, you know, like that, that's a, even a question is really interesting. That is really interesting, especially considering like our the cultural script is that women are the emotive ones, that we have these friendships because these are the spaces where, of course, we pour out all of our emotions, good, bad or ugly. But it sounds like something that you learned was that there there is a friendship script that we that we're still figuring out. Yeah, absolutely. Caroline, hearing Kayleen explain this really made me realize how true this is for me. There have been so many times that I've hit a wall with a friend and not known what the next step should be. Like, I I find it constantly ironic that I am a podcaster because I have a hard time finding my words in in my day-to-day relationships. But, I mean, think about the scripts that we have for this stuff with our romantic partners or even just, like, our hookups or that— rando we made out with at the bar (laughs) like (laughs) there are songs movies advice columnists like entire brunches can be had just to talk about that makeout but for friends you know when things hit the rocks like who do you turn to it's kind of a silent void yeah i mean even with all the amazing representations of female friendships on tv i feel like we're only just starting to see portrayals of breakups told realistically I mean, even Golden Girls didn't give us a script for this. Oh, but they gave us so much. They gave (laughs) us so much, and they did constantly fight. Yeah. I I do appreciate that. (laughs) But on a serious note, I I wanted to run a personal situation by Kayleen, and also, I guess now, listeners, by all y'all, you know, to cash in on a little free friend therapy from someone who's done her research and talked to a lot of other women about their friendships. I'm personally kind of stuck in... uh, in a really tough situation of a friend who I need to have a breakup talk with her. Um, and she's made the appeal to like the sisterhood level of our friendship. You know, we put so much time and energy into this relationship, you know, of course, like let's be friends again. And I haven't had the wherewithal to be completely honest. Like I, I don't know what to say because it's like, I don't want to start, I don't want to just open up old wounds. Um, I also don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to invalidate her feelings, but like, ah, help. (laughs) See, again, it's like there's clearly like the script, like we don't. Right, it's not there. And, you know, I mean, the truth is, is no one wants to go through a breakup with anybody. Even if you were trying to break up with a guy here, you still wouldn't want to hurt his feelings. And and there would be that same argument. Like, look what we built for however long we had been dating. With friendship, there's also this, you know, you can have a lot of friends. You don't have to pick just one the same way traditionally you do with a romantic relationship. So it is really tough to get across the message of like, no, I know I could have you in my life still, but it's not working for me, or I just don't, I just can't be a good friend to you. Like, it it does sound like a a little bit of a a cop-out in the way of like, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) But it, it is. Kayleen's advice is right on the money. 
Even psychologists would advise you against ghosting. You know, going the open and honest communication route allows both of you to clear the air and move on. You know, it makes me think about the Camp Farwell girls, actually. They had such a straightforward take on what to do when a friend doesn't live up to your real friend criteria. Just listen to this camper's reaction to hearing all the other girls talk about what a real friend looks like. It doesn't sound like my friends, so I stopped being friends with them. Oh, I feel like that's easier said than done, though. And maybe that's why one of my oldest friends took a different route when we started to grow apart. So one of my best friends in the world, we've been best friends since we were seven. We had completely different post-college lives. Like she immediately started like grad school. She was in a very serious relationship. They were beelining toward marriage and babies. I was beelining toward the bar (laughs) and just like very different lives. She was in the suburbs the whole nine. And I just am a bad communicator or like a bad staying in toucher. She literally wrote me a letter that said, I am grieving. I am grieving for our friendship. Like, I miss you. We have such different lives. And I don't want this to be the end, but I feel like it is. And I I feel like I need to say goodbye to you. I don't know what to do. And of course, I called her and was like, would you stop it? <laughs> um, and we were able to talk through it. But yeah, it was almost like she wasn't breaking up with me. But she was like... She was sounding an alarm, though. She was saying, I need you to be more present. Otherwise. Yeah, she was essentially asking me, are we breaking up? Yeah. Which that's a really brave thing that she did. And you were... Yes. Pr- I mean, I'm sure you weren't glad to get that letter, but you were probably glad she said something. Yeah, I put run. down my PBR and yeah. I said, let me come to your house in the suburbs and we can talk this out. And so we do, like, even though she has three children, like, we do make an effort at least every couple months, to have, like, a ridiculously long dinner and talk about our ridiculously different but similar lives, you know, because at the root of it still, like, we've known each other for so long. Yeah, I mean, you may not be in each other's lives in the same way you were before your life shifted, but it doesn't always mean that it has to be a hard and fast breakup, too. But you both kind of have to know what the new way forward is. The takeaway here is, when there isn't a script, write your own. And who knows, maybe the patriarchy will benefit from it. Oh, it could definitely use some help. Yeah, I mean, it's true. A friend's husband read the book, and he said, gosh, like, this makes me want to be a woman so I could have these kind of friendships. And he really meant it. He meant, I want to have these deep bonds that you have that I don't have with my guy friends. Well, maybe, are are you going to write a sequel for for the men? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think that's my place. (laughs) The other thing that can happen when we actually start to value our friendships is that we can realize we want more of them in our life. You know, the awesome thing about friends is that they can fill really different holes in your life. Maybe you have a friend you go jogging with. Maybe you have the one friend who you go on trips with. Maybe you have your brunch crew. Who knows? I don't know. That's actually starting to sound like a lot of friends. And maybe you need more time than I I have. I feel like the brunch crew needs jackets. (laughs) Every new friend, though, is like an opportunity for us to explore new places and new faces and new parts of ourselves, honestly. And as Kaylee learned from her mom, you can do it when you're 25 or 65. 
doing the book and, and having her be in it caused her to reach out to some of her friends because she couldn't remember all the details. So she reached out to a friend from her early 20s or the woman she used to walk with when I was a little kid, and they reconnected because of that, which I thought was amazing. And I didn't consider that being a result of it at all. And, you know, now she's retired and she is prioritizing her friends more, which is is a neat evolution. And it's something that we have in common now we can talk about, you know, how great our friends are. Oh, that's so cool. That's really sweet. So it sounds like with friendships, too, it's like um, it's not too late. Nope. Even if it feels like it. Yep. It's totally not too late. And, you know, you do need your friends as you get older, obviously, more and more. Yeah, because we, we got to uh, find our, our lanai in Miami <laughs> and get get our Golden Girl situation set up. We need friends. So if you're one of those gals out there who's drawn a circle in the sand around yourself to stay away from other women because you think they're catty or because you're just plain shy, all we have to say is this. Try it. And to give us all some encouragement for doing just that, we're going to wrap things up today with an unladylike pep talk from our friend Erin Gibson, who is truly a gem of a person. She is a hilarious gal who also hosts Throwing Shade Podcast, which you should totally listen to. She moved around a lot as a kid, and she's going to give us some motivation for making friends and keeping them as an adult. Hey, this is Erin Gibson, and this is my pep talk about female friendships. Now, I'm a childless, career-obsessed, nail-biting, hell-bent, feminist, she-devil banshee, so of course I want women to nurture their female friendships. It's how we'll feminize power and fix the avalanche of problems that plague our world. We're going to eradicate the pay gap, eliminate homelessness, run banks that don't fail, and mandate floor-length mirrors in hotel rooms. But I wasn't always this passionate about female friends. Reagan's trickle-down economics that turned this country into America, land of the rich, home of the greedy, sent my poor, desperate parents scrambling for jobs across the country in the 80s and 90s. Christy Tidwell, the only friend I ever knew, was torn away from me when we moved from Texas to Ohio. I started second grade in a part of the country where Coke is called pop with a bunch of strange children who made fun of my southern twang and my hat. It was not easy, but I made a new friend. Katie Smith, who was tossed aside the minute we moved to Kentucky. I moved again and again and again. And by the time I landed back in Texas in high school, I had lost the ability or desire to keep a female friend. Puberty hit and totally complicated my feelings about other women. At that point, every woman I knew was engaged in secret competition for male attention, including me. I'd be like, Oh, hey, Brooke, I'm not coming to your birthday party. Zach Bubella said he wanted to finger me behind the dumpster at Wendy's. But if we're done in time, I'll drop off your present. Female friendships always came second to male friendships until I moved to L.A. and experienced just how warm, supportive, and kind female friends can be when I let them. I have a group of women so supportive, they make Elizabeth Warren look like Ayn Rand. And you know what? I regularly check MLS listings for large parcels of land so we can build a commune on it. And I want every woman to have friendships like that. 
Friendship is a relationship, and it takes a lot of work. If your girlfriend says or does something that's hurtful, tell her. Talk about it. It will only make you better friends. And if she can't hear you and apologize, then dump her. No one has any time for friends who aren't good people. But I bet you'll find, for the most part, by nurturing our female friendships, furiously defending our friends and standing beside them, we'll get all that back to us in spades. Female friendships are what's going to make America great for the first time. Erin has written an amazing new book out September 4th. It's called Feminasty, The Complicated Woman's Guide to Surviving the Patriarchy Without Drinking Herself to Death. Find a link to it on our site. Y'all, our book has so much more info about friends. Seriously, so what are you waiting for while you're looking up Feminasty? Pre-order Unladylike as well. And if you've already pre-ordered it, tell a friend to pre-order it too. Get it? See what we did there? Go to unladylike.co and find it now. And sound off about how you value the female friendships in your life and what that's meant to you. You know, do you have a 1920s-style girl crush or a golden girl's plan for retirement? Have you ever wanted to hop out of a carriage and murder your friend? Tell us and tag us at Unladylike Media. And Unladies, this episode is kicking off our summer break. That means you won't hear a new episode of Unladylike in your feed till September, but have no fear. We will be back with brand new episodes for season three. Keep up with us in the meantime with our weekly newsletter and on social. And give us a holler if you've got a story you think that we should tell on Unladylike. You can always leave us a message at our hotline, 2628-GALPAL. There is one other way to get new Unladylike content while we're on our little summer break. Our bonus episodes. Those are available exclusively on Stitcher Premium. And next week, we're releasing a conversation we had a while back with an abortion travel agent. Yes, that is a real job. And y'all, it might be an even more important job if you know who does you know what to Roe versus Wade. You do not want to miss this insightful conversation. So sign up for Stitcher Premium right now. Use the code unladylike to get a month of free listening. Just go to stitcher.com slash premium with code unladylike. Abigail Keel is a senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. Caroline, something that I learned at Camp Farwell this summer is that I need a proper tutorial on friendship bracelet making because, you know, I made a bracelet for myself. Um, noticeably, none of the girls asked to see it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, we had those those letter beads. So I used the letter beads to make a, an unladylike friendship bracelet, but there was uh, no E, so it just says unladylike. <laughs> You're, you're good at other things. Stitcher.